Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Now, today we will be talking about a matter that um, most would like to tuck away in a dark closet, and that subject matter is herpes. Now, according to the CDC, there are one in six people ages 14 to 49 carrying uh, herpes simplex virus 2 around. But when you ask around for exactly how many people have genital herpes, most often you will find the answer is we're not so sure. My guest today, Dr. Kelly Martin Shue, is an Amazon best-selling author, speaker, and women's wellness advocate. As a doctor and woman who has lived with herpes for 15 years, she brings compassion, a light heart, and knowledge of the world of possibilities to those who suffer from herpes. Dr. Kelly is an author of a new book, Live, Love, and Thrive with Herpes, a holistic guide for women who has become known as the herpes wellness expert. I thank Dr. Kelly in advance for making time to sit down and talk with me today and extend a warm welcome her way. Dr. Kelly, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you. Well, well, so where am I speaking to uh, you from today? Where are you at? I'm in Boulder, Colorado, where it's uh, in the 60s and sunny today. Sixties and sunny. Okay, still not warm Los Angeles weather, but we'll take the sixty. We'll take the sixty. Yeah, yeah, we'll take it in February. <laughs> okay, awesome. So, uh, Dr. Kelly, this journey of assisting women with genital herpes and spreading awareness about the matter is a personal one for you. Uh, can you share with us how you got involved with all of this? Uh, yeah. So again, it is my personal journey uh, in my early twenties. I had just graduated from um, the University of Colorado here in Boulder and with a degree in psychology and the world was my oyster and I didn't know what was next for me. So what started out as a trip with my sister, a backpacking trip, um, turned into, it started out was was a six-week journey that turned into five months. Mm-hmm. And in that journey, I saw a lot of the world and met amazing people and it was really dreamy uh, until Christmas Eve, 1998. My life changed in a couple minutes, truly. And uh, after that evening, I was I was very homesick for my family and my friends. And I had met some wonderful friends along the way. And it was uh, during an intimate uh, contact with a gentleman that the next day uh, I began to have horrible symptoms. Um, it was painful to walk. It was painful to urinate. And so that's where my journey began, a place of total devastation. Wow. So you, you, you say your symptoms came about pretty quickly, like the next day it was painful for you. Um, so did you wait a while or was, did you go to the doctor immediately after that? Well, unfortunately, I literally was out in the middle of nowhere. I was in, um, in Nepal. And mm-hmm. so uh, there were really no doctors around. Um, so I decided to wait until I could get to Kathmandu, which was the biggest city. Uh, and uh, it took me through uh, the beginning. So that was, you know, December 25th. And okay. so within the first couple days of, of January, when I went to Kathmandu, I had to hike out of this area, you know, in, in quite a bit of pain. Um, mm-hmm. And I went to a doctor. I went to a clinic. And I'll never forget uh, the doctor's name, Dr. Pandy, this mm-hmm. woman in this white, crisp, 
uh, jacket, lab coat, and she confirmed my worst nightmare, you know, that I did, in fact, and had contracted herpes. And so that's where the story began. Wow. So tell us, what's that, what is that like for you? So you're at the doctor's office, you get the news. Those first few moments, those first few days, you know, when you, you, you have your diagnosis, what, what is that like for you? I'm, I'm pretty sure emotionally you just go through a whole overwhelming abundance of feelings. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, I'll never forget uh, staying in a hotel room, um, you know, far, far away from home and literally curling up in a ball, listening to music. I remember listening to Sarah McLaughlin, that, that was that, and, and singing and you know, all the all the songs that allow the emotions to just flood and profound sadness, thinking my life was over, you know, my greatest fears was that no one would ever love me again. And the other fear was that, you know, I'd never be able to have children. Mm. And, um, you know, they, they really hit me to my core. I can remember I did share with uh, one of my trekking partners, one of the one of the guys uh, that had become a, a dear friend over the course of three months. And I shared with him. I shared with him what had happened. And I tell you, he was ready to beat this guy up. <laughs> so, you know, he kind of acted like a big brother. And, and I'm glad that I opened up to him because he, he knew. I mean, you know, I went from being joyous and happy and, you know, happy-go-lucky, the world is my oyster, to totally devastated. So I could not not tell my best friend in the journey. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was. It was really overwhelming. It was, uh, you know, uh, something in my life that shook me to my core. So do you come home uh, back to the United States right after that, or do you finish out your trip? Or I finished out my trip, uh, and I did reach out. You know, back then they had uh, what they called, like, little Internet cafes. So the Internet okay. was it wasn't what it is today, and you could kind of maybe get on and, and check an email. Uh, I was calling home. You know, trying to call home every couple of weeks. I'm very close to my family. And so I did reach out. I told my mom and my sister. And, um, again, like just to, to say the words was so hard, but to, to have that love and compassion on the other side saying, Kelly, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. But it's all the stories you make up in your head of what it means. You know, mm-hmm. I had not been a promiscuous young person and. You know, all the, all the negativity, all the shame that pretty much everyone goes through um, has been my experience when they're first diagnosed. Okay. Now, you know, that's like a, a stereotypical assumption. You, um, you, know, you just kind of mentioned that people, you know, they hear herpes and they say, oh, you know, that was somebody who was footloose and fancy free and just out there. But, you know, in your case, um, I think I read that you were very careful and very, you know, you weren't in a, a, a variety of relationships. So I, I guess that's further proof that it's, it's just not exclusive to a particular population of, of people. Absolutely. Herpes knows, knows, knows no boundaries. You know, it, it uh, impacts the lives of all different kinds of people. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter what color your skin is or how much money you make or how educated you are. You know, I've met uh, healthcare professionals. I've met doctors. You know, people that you think, oh, wow, they should have known better, like that they did something wrong. I think that's the biggest lesson is that even if you are, you know, promiscuous, like that, you know, it really, herpes knows no boundaries. It Mm -hmm. really, really doesn't. And so that's been a great lesson learned. Awesome. Okay. Now, before we go on, Dr. Kelly, um, you know, because we've been talking here, just explain to the audience exactly what herpes is. Yeah, so herpes uh, is a virus. It is part of the same family of of viruses that causes chickenpox, 
that causes mono, that causes shingles. Um, so herpes is part of a family of viruses. What we're talking about today is what's called herpes simplex virus, which okay. uh, is the, the kind that causes cold sores on a person's lips, you know, that you often see uh-huh. in the, in the wintertime. But it's also the same virus that causes the sexually transmitted disease, uh, genital herpes. And it is, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a rash basically on the, on the skin, but it is transmitted from, uh, mainly from skin to skin contact. Okay, okay. So is there a cure for it at this time? There is currently not a cure. Uh, and I know that there are a lot of people uh, out there researching this putting a great deal of energy and money into it, but currently there is no cure. Okay, okay. Now, in the opening that um, I, I read uh, in my research to get ready for sh- to show today, like there's no real accurate numbers on um, the amount of people that are actually carrying uh, the virus. Is, is there reasons for that? or? Yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, one, uh, and you're absolutely right. You go online and you try to do some research and you see numbers all over the board. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you think, okay, what's the truth? Why can't we get an accurate number? I think there's many reasons for this. Um, when we're talking about uh, genital herpes or the sexually transmitted um, disease, again, it's the, same, it's the same thing, as I said, it causes cold sores, but let's specifically talk about, say, genital herpes. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do know is that healthcare providers are not required to give the results of positive tests back to the CDC. Now, the CDC is the Center for Disease Control, and that really, as a country, that's the go-to to get statistics like this. What is the prevalence of something like that? So that is our go-to. So the fact that it's not required and it's optional uh, will automatically bring down the numbers naturally, right? And wow. so it, they, don't, they don't put it in the same category as something like syphilis, or mm-hmm. gonorrhea that can have long-term impact on one's health. And so uh, so that's the, one of the reasons why they don't require it, because it, herpes is, is interesting and it doesn't cause anything else, okay? okay. And um, so that's one of the big problems that we have. The other uh, problem that we have is that 85% uh, percent of, uh, percent of people who have it don't know it. So they never show up to a doctor's office um, you know, to get tested. So they might have symptoms, but they never show up to get tested. And so if you never get tested, it's definitely never going to make it to the CDC, right? True, true. Okay. Yeah. And so um, it's also, it's called the common masquerader, the great masquerader, is because symptoms can look like a lot of different things. So it's not only do people who have the symptoms brush it off as something else, like for a woman, a urinary tract infection, um, or for a man, maybe uh, a jock itch or something like that, uh, the okay. symptoms can be very similar. So people uh, might not ever show up to their doctor's office. And if they do, doctors often misdiagnose it uh, for a number of reasons, one of which, as I said, it looks like many other, uh, other, other things. Okay. Now, okay, so doctors are misdiagnosing it. Uh, people are not, uh, you know, the symptoms are displaying itself to maybe look like something else. So currently, what, what are the testing guidelines for herpes then? Is there something standard? 
Um, well, there, uh, this also runs into another challenge, <laughs> is that if you go to the doctor um, and, and ask and request to be screened for STDs, herpes mm-hmm. is not included in a standard test. Wow. So there are a lot of people that are going out there, they're very, being very mindful of their health and well-being and the well-being of their partners, and they're getting tested, and they don't know to specifically ask for herpes to be tested. So that inherent is also um, part of part of the challenge. But the actual testing, you ask, you know, what is the standard? If someone presents with some symptoms, and the doctor thinks or the healthcare professional thinks that it might be herpes, uh, the standard of care would be to do two things. First of all, is to take a sample. Uh, if there is a lesion or a blister, if there's something that they can actually uh, take a sample of, uh, they will do that. In addition, uh, you can also get a blood test done. So uh, both both of those tests um, can test for the herpes virus. Okay. So now we need to be more proactive when we go to our doctors when we're asking for our, you know, STD testing to say, doctor, can you also include uh, testing for herpes? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I tell everyone, if you do get cold sores, mm-hmm. we already know that you have one strain of the virus, and that is HSV-1. So okay. your typical cold sores, and a lot of people don't realize that, um, is that that is the herpes virus uh, manifesting as a cold sore. And we see that even, you know, in children. In fact, uh, there's this statistic that came out that said, you know, something crazy, like up to 60% of children will contract the herpes virus, meaning the cold sore kind, by kissing aunts and, you know, and grandmothers and mommies and daddies and grandparents and not in a sexual way at all. But mm. you know that if you have cold sores on your lips, that can be uh, transmitted through a, you know, um, a loving, you know, normal kiss to a child. <clears throat> so if you have cold sores, we already know that you have one strain of this virus in your body. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break, Dr. Kelly, and we'll be right back to talk more about herpes right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I am hanging out with Dr. Kelly Martin Shu. She is the author of the uh, book Live, Love, and Thrive with Herpes, a holistic guide for women. And uh, before the commercial break, you were talking about uh, cold source, Dr. Kelly, and how, you know, there was some research on the internet how you know it could be spread to children by you know innocent you know kissings from aunt and and grandmothers and stuff like that. So I'm I'm wondering, um, is there any precautions or you know for the person who has a cold sore, is there the possibility to uh, have s- sexual relations or should you be cautious or you know is there any correlation? I guess I'm asking. Absolutely is so. If someone has a cold sore, they need to know that that is caused by the herpes virus and that they are contagious if they kiss somebody, okay? okay. And so they, uh, the, 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 the way to protect those that you love 
is to wait until that lesion or that, that cold sore is totally healed up before you kiss anyone. That's okay. one, of the, one of the best pieces of advice. And you do need to wait until the sore is completely healed, okay, um, because it is contagious at that point in time. The other thing to know when we're talking about um, sex is that one of, if a person has a cold sore and um, decides that they want to engage and perform oral sex on somebody, their partner, that they can transmit that virus to their partner, and then it becomes in their partner genital herpes. Okay. Okay. So wait until and, everything heals and... Uh... I mean, I guess every, first of all, you have to inform yourself because I think a lot of people, I'm making an assumption here, but I think a lot of people are not assuming the correlation between cold sores and genital herpes. I mean, and putting it all in perspective there. Absolutely. And, and there's just, you know, this is one of the things that I'm, I'm passionate about, you know, that the place of, you know, how do we prevent and protect our partners? And so, you know, really nobody's talked about this, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so. Getting educated, I think, is the first step, is understanding, um, you know, about this virus and also to begin to break down the stigma and the shame that's associated because you're right, a lot of people who have the cold make do n- never make that correlation. And their healthcare providers and their doctor and nobody's telling them, so how are they supposed to know? Okay, right. Now, my, my high school days are well, well past and beyond me, but... Um, it, in today's sex education classes in, in schools, it, is knowledge of herpes being given out to the younger generation, or is it just your, you know, your other types of STDs? Um, I can, you know, I can remember, you know, even when I was in school, you know, being informed about herpes, but it was brushed over more from the standpoint of genital herpes, okay. you know, kind of the worst case scenarios. It, it, was, it was painted in the in more of the picture. The picture of you know the relationship to sex, you know, but um, not you know, and things may have changed, but I don't think they have. Is that they're not really educated? They're not putting two and two together with the cold sore. In other words, the sex ed class is really just focusing on herpes below the waist, and yet the herpes can be above the waist. And so I don't, I really don't think that that's being addressed. Gotcha, gotcha, understood. Okay, now you said, uh, I think I read, uh, when you got diagnosed uh, with herpes, you know, that initially you tried a lot of different things to, you know, possibly cure yourself, and you fell for a lot of scams. I'm wondering, what types of scams are out there that people can fall victim to when it comes to herpes? Yeah, one of the really popular ones uh, that's on the market right now is... uh, you know, the, the the herpes cure, right? And then they <laughs> download the ebook, whatever it is, and they have uh, the suggestion is for people to take hydrogen peroxide and, and drink huge amounts of hydrogen peroxide. And that mm. is not good for the body, you know, and it, it's really, you know, these people are, are, they're just so desperate. They're so desperate to be cured. And so they see the word cure. And they run to it like a moth to a the bright light. Yeah. And um, the first thing that I, I tell anyone is that if someone mentions cure, walk the other way. Because okay. Now, unless unless it's a reputable you know research company, and then maybe that maybe they found the cure, but up until today's date, it hasn't been found. So don't waste your money or your time and you know on anything that says cure. So anyway, that's one of the they call like the home remedy. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And um, there's another product, EMSO. I don't know if it's still in the market, but the last time I researched it, it actually had, um, it was it was kind of, it was like bleach. It was mm. like drinking bleach, which, mm. as you can imagine, we're not meant to drink bleach. Wow. So, yeah. So these are the kinds of things that can actually hurt people. And, and I really, you know, I think that the, the best way to filter yourself from that um, is if you see the word cure in their copy, run the other way. Gotcha, gotcha. So those were some scams that you ran into. So besides that, you know, in the beginning, what were some other ways that uh, you tried to, you know, treat yourself in the beginning stages? Yeah, yeah. Of your well, learning. I, I my learning curve. I can tell you personally, I didn't try either of those things. Okay. Uh, it just didn't. It didn't feel right. But I've had a lot <laughs> of people in the community share with me the impact. You know, doing things like that had. Um, for me, the you know, I tried a lot of. Um, different, like, again, it, it, in the copy, it would say cure, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was curious, and, and some of them were really uh, different herbal combinations, and, it, it, and the herbal combinations, you know, really can work for a lot of different different people. Um, some of them uh, actually made me worse, right? Uh-huh. And okay. so, again, it, it's you know, that's, that's why I don't stand behind one product. There are a lot of great products on the, on the market. And the distinction is, is these products can help uh, the virus go dormant in the body, meaning that you have less frequent outbreaks and you can calm the symptoms down. But there's not one pill or one formula that's going to work for everybody. So when I work with people... Uh, one-on-one and, and uh, educating people. We try many different things until we find the thing that really helps them. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And so for okay. me, I had to go through my journey of trying some things that made me worse, right? Mm. And um, it wasn't that the product was bad, but um, what where the frustration was is when they used the copy and said scam. Or, no, I'm sorry, that said cure. And here I got my hopes up. You know, yes. I was going to cure this thing. So I think that was the distinction is, is some of, you know, there were some things that were scams, you know, but more, more than not is misrepresentation. Um, okay. So I don't think I took anything that really injured my body. I, I know for a fact I, I took some things that would just really make it worse. And, again, okay. that meant that that formula wasn't right for me. Gotcha. So what methods did you eventually find that did work for you? So for me personally, um, I've tried, there, there are a couple different things. Uh, the number one defense uh, to herpes, frequent herpes outbreaks is to get the immune system as strong as possible. So for me personally, there's a blend uh, on the market that has, um, it has lysine in it. It has uh, cat's claw. It has, um, you know, like four astralgus. Four or five okay. different herbs that the combination really worked well for me. In addition, um, I added um, zinc to my diet. I was very deficient in zinc, and I discovered that uh, through some hair analysis and hair testing. And zinc is really, in fact, most Americans are deficient in the mineral zinc. And if we don't have enough zinc in the body, the body, the skin has a, has a tough time repairing, and uh, it's really important for skin health. So that's like a simple thing, zinc. I take it every day. I take 50 okay. milligrams every day. Okay. Um, omega-3s, these are your good fats. You know, again, these, these, these last two things, the zinc and the um, 
omega-3s aren't specific to someone with herpes. These are things that most Americans need, and if you're deficient in them, they're really going to help build the immunity. So for me, there's a handful of things that I do on a daily basis uh, to make sure that my immune system is strong. And then if I were to feel symptoms a little bit, I've got my go-to formula that if I take that formula, it knocks it out and the symptoms never progress. Okay, okay. So strengthening the immune system. Now, um, you've mentioned a lot of like herbs and stuff like that. Do you recommend conventional medicine or strictly the the more homeopathic route? Yeah, I, you know, it depends on the person. You know, mm-hmm. I really do believe that there's a, the, a time and a place for traditional medicine. And for some people, that works for them. Okay. And if it works for them, then by all means, you know, use it. And so I think when I first came out with the book, I definitely was leaning much more strongly to the holistic way of managing symptoms. And what I learned in my journey and working with tons and tons of people is that not everyone wants to manage herpes naturally. And that's okay. We're all different. Um, I think that the most important thing is to get the, the symptoms under control, whether it be traditional pharmaceuticals and or, um, you know, herbs and things like that. And you can use both, right? I think mm-hmm. that once again, it's each individual's journey and what's going to work best for them. And I think the number one thing to really be working through is feeling those feelings of shame and learning to love yourself again. And that's universal. Okay. Good stuff. Now, um, when a doctor diagnoses a patient with herpes, are, um, for the most part, are doctors aware of the, the combination of treatment plans to offer um, their patients? Or is, uh, I mean, are the doctors knowledgeable of how to, to, to properly treat a, a patient with herpes these days? Yeah, in my experience, um, they know uh, what, what pharmaceutical drugs are appropriate. Right, okay. and so the choice becomes is whether or not they will treat them what they call episodically, which is means they just use that prescription when they have symptoms. That's what that means, okay. or uh, the decision to use what's called suppressive therapy, where you're taking that medicine every single day. And so that's been my experience of you know most healthcare providers is that's the decision they're making. They don't have the time. Um, to uh, share the information about how to manage it naturally, either because, A, they don't have the knowledge um, or they don't have the time or both. And so, in fact, I've never come across someone that, you know, their, their doctor took the extra time to offer the pharmaceutical but then also tell them what some ideas were holistically. And I, I really think it's just the culture of... Um, you know, our healthcare system, there's not enough time to educate. There's just not enough time. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad uh, you were around to give us some options here. I mean, and especially because it seems like what you're, you're offering to um, the population is is some alternatives that have some positive results, you know. Um, so, I, I don't know, it just seems like the medical profession would be better off if it gave patients some options, you know. Not everybody wants to take you know, right. pharmaceutical right. drugs. So, you know, give us give us some options. You know, I, I just, you know, it's better better for everybody all the way around. Um, Dr. Kelly, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back right after this.
Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Don't Box Me In. I'm Lana Reed, and today I am hanging out with Dr. Kelly Martin Shue. She is the author of the book, Live, Love, and Thrive with Herpes, a Holistic Guide for Women. Now, um, Dr. Kelly, um, before the commercial, we were talking about um, conventional treatment plans and um, holistic treatment plans and, you know, how they could possibly um, make herpes go dormant or, or minimize some of the outbreaks. So my next question, um, curious, are there triggers that spark outbreaks? Absolutely. So uh, when we're talking about triggers, um, one of the number one triggers is stress. Okay. So when people are really stressed out and, and people can, you know, especially when we're talking about cold sores, you know, it's, if you think about it, we see cold sores most frequently during the winter, and that's during the time where, you know, people aren't eating right. You know, they're eating sweets, and, you know, um, the cold weather um, mm-hmm. can be stressful on the body, both extremes of cold weather, wind, and sun. If we're talking about the facial area, those can all trigger outbreaks. Um, the, a diet high in a, an amino acid called arginine, can be a primary trigger for some people. Now, arginine is something that's found in our food, and uh, it is in grains and nuts and chocolate and caffeine, some of the things that we love. Oh, most. my favorites. I know. I know. My favorites. So uh, what, I, <laughs> what I tell people is, if you don't have frequent outbreaks, don't worry about, you know, the food. I mean, try to keep a healthy diet. But mm-hmm. for someone who's really trying to figure out, wow, I keep on getting these outbreaks so frequently, diet is something we definitely look at. So okay. food, uh, foods that are high in arginine, uh, we really want to stay away from. And we want to move towards foods that are high in lysine. Lysine is an, also an amino acid found in our, in our foods uh, that can help to decrease uh, outbreaks. And so foods high in lysine are uh, things like eggs. And uh, for people who are not uh, uh, sensitive to dairy, dairy is high in lysine. And so really it becomes a dance in our diet of uh, having things that are um, higher in lysine and lower in arginine. So those are some, some triggers. In addition to friction. So if we're talking about intimacy and we're talking about sex, you know, using a proper lubricant, um, so to decrease, you know, decrease that, um, that friction. Okay. So those are just some of the, uh, of the triggers in addition to our emotional space. Okay. Which I tell people, it's like, if you're, if you're thinking about herpes, 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 you're <laughs> going to get an outbreak. Right? <laughs> I'm stressing myself out here, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> You know, learning how to harness the mind, you know, and be mindful of where the mind is and change the focus to something positive. And that's where, you know, the life coaching aspect of the work that I do really comes in is where is your mind space and, you know, um, how are you managing your stress? Mm-hmm. How are you managing this stress? So those are some things that are definitely triggers for outbreaks. Now, in your coaching and uh, the things that you do, you work uh, predominantly with women. So um, I guess it's safe to say that uh, herpes most often affects women more so than men. Why Why is that? Um, predominantly, well, we are more um, 
susceptible to uh, have their herpes to transmit uh, or to, to, to get the virus. Uh, and the reason being is because, uh, in fact, we're three times, three to four times more likely um, to get herpes. And it's because of our anatomy, especially when we're, when we're talking about genital herpes. Uh, we've got that internal anatomy, you know, and herpes likes a moist, um, dark environment, you know, in the skin and the mucous membrane. So it's kind of, it's just because of our uh, physical anatomy, uh, which makes us more susceptible. But when, when you're looking at, you know, overall broad-based statistics, you know, in general, we know that about one in four women have general herpes and about one in six men. So, um, you know, a lot of men have it too. I think the reason why I chose to focus uh, my business on women, I do a lot of educational outreach, which includes men and women. But when it comes to the one-on-one time and some of the courses that I've created, I've really singled out women because I've created a community. Because women, you know, love community. We love to nurture one another. And there's something magical when we bring women together to support one another. And so that's one of the, also one of the reasons I chose to work uh, more so with women. Good stuff happens when you bring the ladies together. <laughs> True. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, you know, I know there's a lot of uh, women out there um you know, that have herpes and, you know, it, it's really a spirit killer. You know, there's a lot of questions, you know, will I be able to, you know, date? Will I become a mother? But, you know, I want to let the audience know that Dr. Kelly, not only is she a wife, she's a mother too. So can we talk a little bit about pregnancy and herpes and, you know, also like dating? So when do you have that talk with your potential partner? Yeah, so uh, that is actually the number one question most women, especially single women, have on their list. <laughs> they want to talk to me and they want to, they want to, you know, figure this out. Is to let the audience know that um, you can have a normal, healthy, vibrant life, a dating life, and if you have the hopes and the desires of finding a long-term partner, he or she is out there. Uh, one of the things that it's really important to learn is to to learn a level of compassion for yourself and that place of self-love um, where you really realize it's, it's really, it's a rash, you know, it's mm-hmm. a rash that we're talking about and it doesn't define you and it doesn't have to define your relationship. Obviously I call it the talk. Obviously you need to learn how to have the talk and timing wise, it's different with every courtship. So we know that, you know, we, that, There are times when two people come together, and then it seems like they never come apart. I mean, they spend 24 hours, I mean, tons of time together. In those situations, you're going to want to share, you know, your status uh, earlier on in the the courtship, definitely before you've um, uh, potentially uh, transmitted the virus. So the absolute line of the sand is that you always want to protect those that you care about. So if things are moving really, really fast, then you will need to disclose your status. But in general, what I what I tell people is, you know, just like any relationship, it, trust is fundamental. And developing, you know, a lot of women begin to change their dating habits after being diagnosed with this. And they start, uh, they realize that, you know what, I don't want to just jump in the sack. Like, I really want to get to know this person. And are they worthy to know this about me? You know, can we develop, begin to develop a foundation of a relationship um, that's worthy of moving forward? And, you know, can I be dating the kind of person I really deserve to be 
dating. Get really get really mindful around who, what type of person do you want to be dating, you know. Gotcha. And so this gives us the opportunity to get really clear of what we want. And um, the timing, yeah, it it depends. Uh, but I can tell you with my now husband, I waited a month. I waited okay. a month, but we didn't, you know, we didn't jump in the sack, you know. It, we, we, I, I, I cultivated that relationship and that trust before I came out and told him. Okay. Now, you know, as we're talking about, about dating and the possibility of sex, so, you know, now we've gotten to that point where we want to share, you know, physical intimacy. Is there a way to present your, um, I'm sorry, prevent giving your partner herpes or, um, you know, how do you, how do you have safe sex? Yeah. So um, the number one thing that you can do for your partner is to be in open communication and to not be intimate if you have symptoms. Okay. If you have symptoms, it means that you are contagious, right? And we can never be 100% risk-free, all right? Mm-hmm. So to just keep that in mind that, you know, that your partner, many partners are willing to take that small risk. And when I say small, statistically speaking, just knowing that you have herpes and being able to just pay attention to your body, just by doing that and making a promise to your partner to not be intimate when you have symptoms, you've already drastically reduced the risk of transmission, drastically. So that's the first step, open communication and being mindful of your body. The next step is um, that you do, uh, your partner, if we're talking about a male-female relationship, the male can wear a condom. So -hmm. that is something that we know will decrease transmission rates by 50%. Okay. Um, Then the, the other layer of protection is um, you can use antivirals. Uh, the research that was done was done with uh, pharmaceutical antivirals, but I tell people that you can also uh, make sure that you and your partner are keeping your immune system strong and to take something on a daily basis that is known to uh, build up the immunity and to decrease uh, uh, herpes um, activity in the body or for the partner that doesn't have it, you know, decrease their uh, risk factor, okay? And so the statistics that we know is if we're talking about a female-to-male relationship, so the female has it and the man does not, uh, we can, the, the risk of transmission, having intercourse however many times per year, it's not per incidence of intercourse, uh, that the rate of transmission is um, 8%. Okay, so if they then use condoms, it brings it down um, to 4%. It's a layer of protection. And then if they use antivirals, it brings it down to 2%. Okay, okay. Now, previously I heard you say, um, you know, if you are in the midst of an outbreak or you feel an outbreak, um, you know, no sexual contact. So it's very clear when you are about to have an outbreak. You know, everybody is different, but most people, they're able to start to discover how their body uh, works with the herpes virus. And so symptoms of redness, tingling, itching, you know, in the location that they get their outbreaks, uh, those are common what we call prodromal symptoms, which are symptoms that might be present before a full-blown outbreak. Or a full, when I say full-blown outbreak, we're talking about the blisters. Some people never get the blisters. They just get the numbness and tingling. 
So just for a person to know that even the numbness and the tingling and the itching means that the virus is being activated in the body. Uh, and it's during those times of activation and having those symptoms, knowing that you are contagious. Okay. Now, for the couple who wants to become parents, is it better for them to maybe uh, explore in vitro, or is it possible to get pregnant via normal sexual routes? It's totally possible to get pregnant um, the normal, normal, uh, normal way. Um, in fact, you know, I had no problems getting getting pregnant. Um, herpes, uh, having the herpes virus, does not affect fertility, so. Knowing that, yeah, you can have a uh, normal love life and um, have children. That you, uh, by no means do you have to go down the route of having awesome. in vitro. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We're going to take our last commercial break of the day. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the coursework that you have and uh, the Pink Tent community. So stay with me. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm host Lana Reed, and today I'm hanging out with Dr. Kelly Martin Shue. She's the author of the book, Live, Love, and Thrive with Herpes. Now, Dr. Kelly, you offer um, some coursework called the uh, Dr. Kelly Foundations course. What's what's that all about? So the course, uh, it's four modules. And uh, those four modules are what I consider uh, what every woman with herpes uh, needs to know, no matter where, where she is in the cycle of the virus. Uh, the topics that are covered in those uh, courses are, you know, the top triggers. We cover a 30-day quick start program. So wherever you are, you know, I give you a uh, clear directive of what to do for your next 30 days to improve your immunity, to calm the mind, to get a real hold on this, what supplements to take and those kinds of things. We also cover the facts. There's a lot of myths out there. So we get really clear with what is the virus, how is it transmitted, so you can feel empowered. And then finally, uh, how to have the talk. So even if you're in a relationship, sometimes uh, women in the back part of their mind, they're fearful of like, what, what if it doesn't work out and I have to give the talk? And I find that women can sometimes stay in a bad relationship. Um, that is not healthy only because the partner says it's okay that she has herpes. So just to come from that place of feeling empowered. So it's an online course. We've married that with live coaching, group coaching. But what I will tell you right now is it's not available. We're in a course right now. I'll probably offer that again sometime in the spring. So for people who are interested, what you'll want to do is join our community. It's free. Uh, we constantly send out uh, resources, and uh, all you need to do is go to pinktent.com, and uh, I'll be able to tell you uh, more about what might serve you is if you sign up for a free coaching call with me. You can do that on pinktent.com forward slash coaching. So I make that uh, available to people. Awesome. Now, the this Pink Tent community um – that you offer the coaching on. How did all of that come about? How long has that been around? Yeah, so it started out of the inception of uh, a website I had called uh, Talk About Herpes, and mm-hmm. that was the first go-around where I really realized that women women want to connect and women want to share their story, and sometimes, you know, that they uh, have never told anyone. And just to get it off their chest, you know, when we have that darkness and that shame, 
uh, it can begin to eat away inside of us. And when we can begin to just share it, uh, it takes a lot of the burden off and it brings light. And, and I didn't want women to feel all alone. So the website really started out as a place for women to share their story and support one another. And then it grew into Pink Tent, which now is a worldwide community. We've, we've hit, I think, almost every continent. Um, so we have women around the world that are connecting and supporting one another. And then, as I said, um, you know, working with women, I realized there are women that went through that foundations course and mm-hmm. they still wanted, they still had questions, you know, they still needed some help. And then that's where I had so many people asking me for coaching for so many years. And, and while I was developing the book and developing the online community, I didn't have time to coach. So now I have made that available uh, for women that need that extra support. Yeah. Now, you know, with the coaching uh, that you offer on Pink Tech Community, um, there there are people out there, you know, I'm, I'm going to go this alone and, and just this is my personal secret and I'm going to keep this to myself. You know, what would you say to encourage, you know, the that individual to, to seek out coaching and, and join, you know, the Pink Tech Community, the person who kind of yeah. wants to suffer in silence? Yeah, the one that wants to suffer in silence is I would tell them that you have a choice. You can choose suffering or you can choose beauty in life, and it is your choice. And uh, this is one of those things where could you do it alone? You could. You could, um, but it's going to probably take a lot more suffering over a longer period of time. And I hate to say that, but I've just seen it so many times. They wake up four or five, six years down the line, and they realize they never cultivated the courage to tell that person that they were interested in and they pulled away, right? Mm-hmm. So they begin to shun those people that they really want to bring into the fold and have a relationship with. But the thing that often, you know, gets them is that feeling, that, that fear of rejection. So what I would tell that person is to be really honest with themselves of what they want out of life and not that you have to go tell the world. I mean, I'm an, I'm an oddball, you know. I'm <laughs> Put the flag out and saying, you know what, this isn't a big deal. But that's not everybody's journey. Most people's journey, it is. It's something that's private between themselves and maybe their intimate partner. So um, I just tell the, I would tell that person to reach deep and begin by just sharing their story on the forum anonymously. Just begin, take a baby step and get it off their chest that they're not all alone and they don't have to be alone on this journey. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think, you know, we dig our holes deeper when we try to forge it alone. You know, we, we everybody needs a little support, a little pat in the back and a hug every now and then. And, you know, you just kind of put yourself in, in further darkness when you try to suffer through any kinds of trials and tribulations alone. So, Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing that I would say is, you know, use the resources. You know, yeah. the book. If, if you go to pinktent.com forward slash get the book, get the book it's like you know that that at least gives you some great information and it's my some of my best resources you know so read about it do the exercises so you can begin the journey alone just just reach out in some way take a step today that's going to help you to be the person and to have the relationship and to have you know peace because Mm -hmm. you deserve it awesome now your book live love and thrive with herpes um when did you sit down and write it well, uh, it started out as a vision, and I thought I was crazy because, really, I, quite honestly, I've never been a person that loved to write. I was a kid in school that, if you told me I was going to have to write a paper, I might break down crying. 
it's really hard for me, you know, to get my thoughts down on paper back then. And um, so I actually started writing once I made the decision, uh, realizing the need that there was nowhere for these people to turn and that I knew that I had learned a lot that I could share. And so I felt that it was my duty uh, to do it. And I began writing it uh, while I was pregnant and I joined a mastermind group of female entrepreneurs and they helped support me and just, taking baby steps, just starting to write down, you know, going back and looking at journal entries. Like, how did I learn to give this talk? Like, how did I go from pain and suffering, feeling like I was all alone, to, like, get this life where mm-hmm. I've got an amazing husband and I've got a beautiful daughter and why was I gifted with this? And, and you know, um, putting, putting, really putting the pieces of the puzzle down on paper so other people could follow the same track and get what they want a lot faster. She's come a long way from that young lady in Nepal, hasn't she? I, I have. I wouldn't want to go back to that pain. So I know the pain that people feel, and I just want to make them. I just want to make them feel better. Like I, I want them to know that there's hope, and there's joy, and there's beauty, and there's still this big, big old beautiful ball of earth that we live on, and that anything and everything is possible. So that's really my my story. Awesome, awesome. Now, um, to the the young lady who might be just recently diagnosed with herpes, genital herpes, um, what what would you immediately say to that young lady? Get the book. <laughs> Seriously. Get the book. <laughs> get, get the book. Get the book. And I say that, you know, you can get it for Kindle for like nine ninety nine. It's 10 bucks, And okay. it will help to begin to give you some tools. Because the worst thing is to feel like a victim to this, to this um, uh, infection. And mm-hmm. so that's the first step is to get educated, okay. right? Um, I can stand as an inspiration of what's possible, but that person needs to know that they're not all alone and that there's tools to begin to work through this. Okay. So, uh, and to feel the pain. Like, it's, in the beginning, there's grief, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like being diagnosed for some women, it's, and, and, and men, I mean, it's like being diagnosed with cancer. They think, oh, my gosh, my previous, you know, life that I knew, it's over. And so to really acknowledge uh, in the book, I give very specified um, exercises and explanation of what the journey is like and what to expect so it's not such a shock. Okay. Now to the the husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, loved ones surrounding, um, what would you say to those people in in an effort to assist this person with their journey? Um, love them unconditionally. Let them know that it's by no way, you know, in no way does this take away from their light and from the gifts that they have to offer this world. Um, to know that it's not uncommon for people to really get depressed around that. And okay. so they just need that constant reminder, A, that they're not al- all alone, that this is incredibly common, right? And to begin to give them some tools, you know, um, and the community, you know, the free resources of the community to just even get them online and reading other women's stories can be, if they're not ready to share, read what other women, you know, how they've overcome it. Because it's not just about me. It's about a whole community of women supporting one another. So, you know, I think those are the two things is to let them know that they are loved unconditionally and that there will be someone out there for them, um, that they can learn to manage their symptoms, and that there is, a, you know, a beautiful life out there after diagnosis. 
Wonderful. Now, um, you mentioned Kindle, but what are all the ways that somebody can pick up a copy of Live, Love, and Thrive with Herpes? Yeah, so the the way that uh, works best for Pink Kent and helps me to keep Pink Kent going uh, is to actually purchase it directly on my website, and you can just go to pinkkent.com forward slash get the book. So um, that's the best way for Pink Kent is that we can continue this conversation. Um, but you can buy it on Amazon. Um, okay. And uh, it is one of the number one bestsellers on Amazon. Um, but uh, I'd love to see see the purchase if, if it can be made. It's the same price. Um, so anyway, um, it helps us to keep the message going. Awesome. So everybody go to pinktent.com, get the book, or slash, right? Get the book, right? Yeah, yeah. forward slash get the book. Get the book. All righty. Um, we are at the end of the hour, Dr. Kelly. I have really enjoyed you today. Um, my guest today, like I said, has been Dr. Kelly Martin Shue. Please visit her website, pinktit.com. Uh, Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you. It's been a joy. Awesome, awesome. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week. <music>